Christian. And I think this is important to see. Have you ever done this? Have you ever read the Bible and read things a hundred times? And then you read it and all of a sudden light bulbs go off? And, and have you ever asked yourself, how, how did I miss that before? Is that just me or is that a common experience in the room today? Yeah. This is one of those for me. Matter of fact, if, could I encourage you to do something? I, I want to invite you to join me. In, be, in doing this, because God, I'm fully convinced God's going to show you things he hasn't shown me, and I want to know what it is. Go home, and specific, just start in Matthew. And start with the Gospels, and then you can even go further. But begin with the Gospels, and just look up every time, read every time the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned. You can go to studylight.org and type in kingdom of heaven, and it'll bring up all the scriptures in the Gospels. And then you can type in kingdom of God and it'll bring all of those up as well. And read it. And you're going to be surprised at some things. You're going to be surprised, number one, how it permeates the entire New Testament. It's everywhere. And my question is, if it's everywhere, how have we missed it? Well, how have I missed it? But I have. And I got to thinking, I wonder if it's in the whole Bible. And that's what brought me, I found this. In, in Luke 16, 16, and hopefully you're there. It'll come up on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. The law and the prophets were until who? John. Now, look up here. That's not talking about John, the guy who wrote John. We call him John the Beloved. This is another John with a B, and he's John the what? Baptist. Don't, don't mix those two up. He's talking about John the Baptizer here. Okay, so the law and the prophets were until who? John the Baptist. And since that time, if you've got your own Bible, underline that. Since that time, since what time? Since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been preached and everybody's pressing into it. You see it? Since John shows up, he's preaching the kingdom of God and everybody wants in. Everybody wants in. And this is the thing. Everybody wants in the kingdom. And this is what dawned on me this week. He said, well, if everybody wants in the kingdom, why is there so much blue showing in these pews? Why aren't these pews filled up? I think there's several reasons for that. Everybody wants what the kingdom offers, but they're searching for it in another kingdom that will never give it. And the reason some of us aren't here this morning is exactly the same. They're searching for the benefits of the kingdom of light, but they're hanging out in the kingdom of darkness. Everybody you meet, listen to me, wants desperately what the kingdom of God has to offer. They just don't know it. And here's the exciting part of that. If that's true, and I I believe with all my heart that it is, if that's true, guess what? Everybody you come in contact is dying of thirst, and you're the only one with water. Are you you hearing me? Willie's hearing me. You're the only one with water. Everybody desperately wants what you contain. And why are we so quiet? Why are we not dragging our neighbors to fill in the blue? Because we're ignorant. Or we're willfully disobedient. And is it no wonder that because God knew that, Jesus' message would be, first word, 
repent. <laughs> right? Repent because the kingdom is here. So with this in mind, we notice here that it says uh, in Luke sixteen sixteen, it starts off with the law and the what? Prophets. The law and the prophets. And uh, whenever you see that in the scripture, and that's mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Think this. Think the Bible. Because up to this point, whenever the, in, on the entirety of the New Testament, when they mention the law and the prophets, what are they talking about? Anybody know? The Old Testament. Right. And by the way, that was their Bible. Because the New Testament, <laughs> it's so cool, the New Testament was being lived out and recorded and it, and it wasn't all put together in a book yet. That wouldn't happen for several hundred years later. You, you with me? You following this history? So, check this out. The law is next screen. The law. What is the law? Well, the law is what we call the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. And, and that literally just means five. And they are what? Say it with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and... Deuteronomy. Jim Williams loves Deuteronomy, don't you? Jim always said, Deuteronomy is a good book. You ought to read it. Uh, and Deuteronomy literally uh, sounds like duet, and there's a reason for that. It literally means a second time. It says, read it a second time. That's literally what Deuteronomy means. So Deuteronomy takes all of the law, and it restates it one more time. Interestingly enough, right before the children of Israel go into what? Promised land. So this is the law. Who gave the law? Well, God gave it. Who did he give it to initially? Moses. So we associate Moses with the law. But then he says the law and the what? Prophets. What are the prophets? It's the law of the first five books. What are the prophets? It's the rest of it. That's right. The prophets equal everything else from Joshua to Malachi. That is all the prophets. So let me just run this through with you. And this is what our kids are learning next door in children's church, and it is simply, what is the Bible? The Bible is simply a book that's about a king. The Bible is a book about a king, and that's what the kids are learning next door. They're learning the flow of the Bible. It's not just about a king, though. It's about a kingdom and a king's family and about a kingdom's expansion. That's what Genesis is all about. It's about a king, a kingdom, the king's family, and a kingdom expansion. But it doesn't end there. It's also about a kingdom lost. And all of that's in the book of Genesis. The first of the history of mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, the kingdom was lost. It's also then about a kingdom regained. There was a prophecy right there in Genesis 3 that one day the kingdom that was lost would be what? Regained. It'd be found. It'd be, it'd be, and then it'd also be restored. And, and as we push into the New Testament, we see the kingdom restored. So keep this in mind. As you read, and I'm discovering this is amazing to me, and it is that an understanding of the kingdom, kind of like these glasses that I wear, if, if I see everything in the Bible through the lens of the kingdom, all of a sudden, lots of stuff gets cleared up. It's like the kingdom mentality, the kingdom paradigm, that's another word for a lens, the kingdom lens unlocks the content of the kingdom itself. It unlocks the Bible. 
So uh, uh, we find this in Malachi 4, 4 through 6. This is interesting. It'll come up on the screen. Um, it says this, For behold, the day is coming. And, th- and think about this. This is the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. And what's after Malachi? Another M? Matthew. Right. Now there's a period of 400 years where nothing went on. And then Matthew shows up. So, so this is the... <laughs> Think about this with me for a minute. This is the very last thing that God says to his Old Testament people. And after 400 years, he goes silent. And it's interesting what he says. He's setting them up to know what to look for. And here's what it says. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you, now this is important you understand who the you is, who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, now check this out. Remember the law of Moses, verse 4, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Here's what he said. And he's thought, here's what to look for, because the kingdom's coming. And here's, here's what to look for to know that it's here. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, what's Elijah going to do? Verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What's he saying? I'm going to send a prophet. It's going to be the last one. Why is he going to be the last prophet? Because that last prophet is going to introduce who? The king. That the whole of history has been about and has been pointing to. And when he comes, here's what's going to happen. And he describes some of the effects of this prophet. And we see, we see on the road to Emmaus that Jesus, he's walking with these two disciples. This is after his crucifixion. On the morning of the resurrection. This is resurrection morning that they sang about, gone. This is, this is after he had met Mary at the tomb. The Marys actually at the tomb. And all of a sudden, he shows up walking with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking to each other about everything that just happened over the feast days. And they're so disappointed. We pick it up. It's in Luke 24. We pick it up in verse 25. It come up on the screen. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what? Believe in all the who? Prophets had spoken. Don't miss that. And then he said, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Who told them that the, that the Messiah was going to suffer and then enter his glory? The who? The prophets. And now check this out, verse 27. And beginning at who? Moses. Underline that in your Bible. And beginning at Moses and then all the what? Prophets, when you see Moses or the law and the prophets, what do you think of? The whole what? 
Are y'all here this morning? The whole Old Testament. So he starts in Genesis. And he runs them all the way through Malachi. Every single book. And what does he do with that? He expounded to them in all the scriptures. Look at this. Underline this in your Bible. The things what? Concerning himself. Do you get it? He walks them through the whole Old Testament, their only Bible at this time, and he says, here I am in Genesis, here I am in Exodus, here I am in Leviticus, and here I am in Numbers. Oh, and by the way, here I am in Deuteronomy, just to say it again. And then he, then he starts in Joshua, and he takes them all the way through. So, when you see it right there, the law and the what? Prophets. So, whenever you see the law, you need to think of Moses, and that is the constitution of the kingdom. The law. So Moses lays down the law and says, hey, it's all about a kingdom. And in that kingdom, there's laws, there's rules, there's a constitution. And then whenever you see the judges, what, you, what we see is the king himself. And, and when you see the law, and then you have the prophets, you have the coming of the king. The law is the constitution of the kingdom, and the prophets is the coming of the king that will enforce that constitution. Doesn't this start to make sense of everything you read in the Old Testament? Okay? This is, this is really cool stuff. As you begin to understand it. <clears throat> okay, so let's, we get the law. Moses did a fantastic job, by the way. Did God give him any wiggle room in the law? No. He writes it down himself with his own finger. By the way, not in the sand, in what? Stone. <laughs> okay, because God intends his law to last. His law is eternal. Okay, so there's no messing that up. I mean, all Moses had to do is carry this thing down a mountain and say, okay, you asked for it, here it is. All right, but then the prophets show up, and the whole job of the prophets is to say, hey, there's a king, and he's coming. There's a coming king, and you need to look for him, and here's what that's going to look like. So we have Joshua. Let me run you through just a few of these books. We have Joshua. What is Joshua about? The Joshua is telling us, hey, the king delivers what he promises. That's what Joshua says. Joshua says, hey, we got a king, and he delivers what he, what he promises, because in Joshua, the Jews enter the what? Promised land. King promised it, he's delivering. Then we have judges. What is judges about? Judges is the king will be a righteous judge. Now, did they always have righteous judges in Israel? No. But what this is saying is, hey, the judge that's coming, the king, he's going to be righteous. And everybody's going to get what is theirs. There's going to be justice, finally, once and for all. So what's after? You got Joshua, judges, and then what, church? That was weak. Joshua, judges, and what? Ruth. Now, you've got to be careful about Ruth. You've got to be careful about all of these. Because you can read into them and create a book within a book that's not even there. That's called sermonizing, and I can't stand it. And I've been guilty of it. So be careful with Ruth. What is Ruth about? Ruth is about the integration of the Gentiles into the line of the Messiah, the king, and thus into the kingdom. You know what Ruth is? Ruth is a promissory note that, hey, you know what? I'm dealing with Israel right now, but, hey, when the king comes, he's going to open the gates. Oh, that was, that was better than you responded. You obviously did not understand that. Anybody here a full-blooded Jew? Then, then you ought to be so thankful that there's a book called Ruth in the Bible. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile just like you and just like me. And she is a promissory note. That's what it's here. They say, hey, the king's coming, and when he does, it ain't going to just be Israel. He's going to open the gates. It's going to be everybody. All right, so there's Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth what? What's after Ruth. Yeah, y'all opening your Bibles and looking in the front now. I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, it's First and Second Samuel. And now, First and Second Samuel are interesting. It's, it's be, the beginning of the history books. 
And basically, the people come to Samuel, who is a prophet. And remember, what is the prophet's job? The prophet's job is to say, hey, there's a king, and he's what? He's coming. Man, there's a king, and he's coming. And in the meantime, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help rule this nation for my king, because the king is coming. But then the people come to Samuel, and they say, hey, you know what? That's great that the king is coming, but we want him what? Right now. And Samuel says, oh, no, no, you don't. There's a king, and he's coming, and, and you want God's king. They said, nope, we want our king. So who'd they choose? Saul. And always remember this, Saul is man's choice. The people want a king, and their choice was Saul, and that was man's choice. And I'm just asking, you don't even have to be a great scholar, but how did Saul work out for Israel as a king? Not so good. Why'd they choose him? Head and shoulders above it. He's the tallest guy in the group. Easiest to see with a crown on his head. Let's choose the big guy. Right? So that didn't work out so good. So God says, okay, we're, we're going to have a new king. And I'm going to choose him this time, not you. And who, did, who, did God, who was God's choice for king? David. Right. David is God's choice for king. And interestingly enough, Saul was the biggest of everybody. What was David? He's a kid. He's a, he's a middle teenager when he gets chosen. You know the story. They, they line up all the boys, go through all of them. He's strapping, good-looking, big, strong, smart, whatever. And God says, nope, 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 and nope. And he said, yeah, that's exactly right. And he, and he turns to Oban and he says, hey, Jesse, got any more? Because <laughs> I know this is the address God gave me. He put it right in my GPS. It took me right to your door. But he says no to everybody. And Jesse says, no. Oh, yeah, I do got one more. That's the little runt. He's out there keeping the sheep. Go get him. The most unlikely candidate, David, he walks in, horn of oil over his head. You're the new king. What? Yeah, God's choice. Little as much when God is in it, right? Shepherd boy. And then you know what David does? He goes right back to the sheep. It's a good man. So that's what Samuel is. And then you have First uh, and 2 Kings and First and 2 Chronicles. And again, those are just the history books of the kingdom. They're the history. Some good kings, some bad kings. And here's what happened. Then we have Ezra. Ezra comes along. He's a prophet. Um, and when Ezra comes along, basically the king, kings become so corrupt that God says, okay, I'm done with kings. I'm just going to send you prophets from now on. Your, your kings are worthless, so I'm going to send you my prophets to tell you, hang in there, there's a better king coming. And then we have Nehemiah. Oh, and Nehemiah is a message of hope. And you know where the hope is? The hope is in the king that's coming. Right, is anybody seeing a, a pattern here? There's a king, and he's coming, and he's way better. Hang in there. In the meantime, let's rebuild the walls, because listen to me, God's not done with you yet. Aren't you glad that's true? God wasn't done with them yet. And then we have this book called what? Ezra and Nehemiah, what? Esther. Esther. So we have, we have Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we have Esther. Again, be careful about reading into, into the book of Esther. Uh, Esther is basically there uh, to show us the preservation of the line of Messiah. All the Jews were to be killed, to be wiped off, wiped off the face of the earth. And if they had been successful, there would be no line through which the Messiah could come. And God said, nope, not going to happen that way. Um, I, I've got to have these people in order to produce the king that's coming. So it's a preservation of the line of Messiah. I also think Esther is in there so that us fellows don't get a big head. And say, oh, it's all about the guys. So God throws a woman in there and says, hey, just like you're a king in the kingdom, there are queens in the kingdom. You're just wearing a different earth suit, but you both rule and reign. 
Fellows, you should say amen there if you're sitting next to your wives. All right. So then after that, after, after um, Esther, what do we have? Job. Now, Job had a job done on him, didn't he? I mean, Job went through it. And you know what the message of Job is? No matter what happens in the kingdom, you win. Isn't that great? No matter what happens in the kingdom, you might go through some hard stuff in the kingdom, but no matter what happens, you win. It's about the durability of the kingdom. The kingdom is going to last. It is permanent, and God has your back. Now, he may lead you through hell itself, but you're going to come out on the other side. God, you are all right. You, God has got you. Your king has got your back. That's what Job is all about. And don't ever forget that. Job is vital to understand the durability of the kingdom. And here's, I like to put it this way. This came to me as I was studying this out. Is that the kingdom conquers all conditions. The kingdom conquers all conditions. Someone said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? Because you've got a king who's got your back, and the kingdom conquers your circumstances, all the conditions you find yourself in. And Job is an incredible reminder of that. Okay, so Job, and then what? The big book in the middle? Psalms. Now, Psalms is interesting. It's a song book written by a king about a king. It's, it's the hymn book of the kingdom. And it kind of lays out what the kingdom's going to be like. We're gonna, we're the, in the kingdom... The people praise the king. Then we have the book of what? Proverbs. And Proverbs is the wisdom of kingdom living. Proverbs is the wisdom of kingdom life. <coughs> it says when you're in the kingdom, there's a wisdom to it. There's a cadence to it. And here's how it works. And that was written by who? Solomon. Right. Um, and then after, this is so weird because you got Proverbs and then what? Ecclesiastes. Now in Proverbs it says, hey, if you live wise... You can expect good things to happen. And then you've got Ecclesiastes. What in the world? Anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? Yeah. You know what I call Ecclesiastes? Proverbs on Prozac. One person laughed. I guess only one person reads their Bible in here this morning. Proverbs on Prozac. It's, it's, a, it's a downer. Ecclesiastes is a sarcasm. It teases man. It, it, it basically says, hey, you tried to live your life without God. How's that working for you? When, when, and, and it opens right up. The, whole, the first opening line, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. It's a downer. And he's saying, you try to live your life without God, and you can fill it with all kinds of stuff, but you're going to be empty. Because it's not about the kingdom of man, it's about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a tease. Um, you try to live without God, and it ain't working. All right, then we have what? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Well, he's taking us all over the map from the heights to the depths. Now we're back to the heights again, right? Song of Solomon. That's marriage in the kingdom. It's the most natural description of the covenant relationship between a man and a woman. It's the most sexual book in the Bible. Um, it's pretty graphic. You don't have to be too smart to connect the dots and see the symbolism and what it's saying. It's not about the church. It's not about any other thing. It's a basically a simple, a primer on a relationship of a husband to a wife. Don't read more into it than what's actually there. All right, so it's, it's marriage in the kingdom, relationships in the kingdom. And then you have Isaiah all the way through Malachi. Okay, these are the prophets. So basically God says, okay, no more chances. I'm sending prophets from here on out. And a prophet's job is to say, there's a king and he's coming. There's a king and he's coming. Now there's one guy, there's one prophet who kind of stands out as the guy who's 
who's the father of the prophets. And, and, and that is actually a guy named Elijah. Elijah's one of the first ones to come along as a prophet. And uh, what do we know about Elijah? Eli- now, there's two. There's Elijah came first, and then Elisha. He's the second guy. What did, what did Elijah do? What are some, some of the history of Elijah? Remember Mount Carmel? Remember that? The prophets of Baal. And, and yeah, Jezebel, he, made the, he makes the axe head, the iron axe head float. I mean, nobody showed the power of the kingdom. No prophet showed the power of the kingdom more than Elijah. So he's the figurehead of all of the prophets. So you have all of these um, guys, and then something happens. This is amazing. Turn to Matthew 7. All of this, Old Testament, law and the what church? Prophets, all about a king and a kingdom. King and a kingdom. It's not, that, it's not that difficult, is it? It's pretty plain. Then in Matthew 7, it's called the Mount of what? Transfiguration. In the Mount of Transfiguration, something happens. Something happens up there. And Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's got who with him? Peter, who? James and... Boy, I'll tell you what, y'all are asleep today. Peter, James, and John. And those are his kind of his inner three guys. Those are, those are the in, inner group of the twelve. So he takes these three men, Peter, James, John. And they, they head up the mountain. And up there, two guys meet with him. All of a sudden, they're, they're hanging around. And Jesus all of a sudden starts glowing. And what happens is he's, he unveils his glory. Um, that whole time, Jesus in human form, he, he kind of had a, I'll put it, he kind of had a mask on. He kind of had something to dampen the glory of God. Otherwise, people would not even be able to hear his message. They would just fall down in awe of who, who he is unveiled. So up on top of this mountain, it's like Jesus takes the veil off, and he starts glowing. And all of a sudden, they notice there's two other guys with him. And who are the two guys that show up with Jesus? Are those verses up there, L? Pull them up. Let's see. No? Okay, we'll have to turn to Matthew 17. I thought I put them in there. All right, the two guys are who? Moses and Elijah. Now, do you think that that's by mistake? No, because Moses is associated with what? The law, and Elijah is associated with what? The prophets. That is up there. The law and the prophets. So in the, in the law, we have Moses. He represents the law, the first five books. And the prophets are Elijah. He represents everything after. It's the whole Old Testament up to that point. Okay? And is, that is no accident that it happens that way. So Jesus is up there. And even in your Bible, I'll bet you dollars to donuts, the top of your Bible says the Mount of Transfiguration, doesn't it? Well, I, I want to correct that. Because listen to me. The Bible is inspired, but the notes about the Bible are not. And they met well, but that, that mountain, that was the most important meeting Jesus ever had. That was more important than the Garden of Gethsemane. That was more important than the Passover that he was, he, he was going to have shortly. The most important meeting Jesus had was this meeting on the top of the mountain of, of transfiguration. But it was not about a transfigured king, but instead about a transferred kingdom. And I'm going to show that to you. And I gave you all that background today to do nothing but show you this. Because I want to convince you we've got to start, 
We've got to start putting kingdom glasses on, and it begins to flavor and change everything that you see. You will never look at your life the same. You thought you knew God, but when you come to understand the kingdom, you come to a whole new level of understanding of who God is and what he's designed and what we're supposed to be walking in and leaving by the, instead of leaving by the wayside. This is powerful stuff. But I had to take you through the history to get you to this point. It's not about a transfigured king, but instead a transferred kingdom. What was going on here? Jesus came to close two books and to say thanks to two servants. Did you catch that? He came to close two books, the law and the what? Prophets. And he came to say thank you to two servants, Moses and who? Elijah. He said, Moses, you did good. You got the law here. Thank you. Your assignment is complete. Elijah, you did a great job. King of the prophets. You laid the foundation well to proclaim that I am coming. But, but Elijah, I'm here. Well done. Your assignment is over. It was more about transference of authority and the closing of the Old Testament and the opening of the New. So, Peter. Peter's watching all this. Peter, James, and John. They're watching all this. Can you? This must have been a crazy scene because Jesus is glowing like the sun. Okay? And all of a sudden, somehow he rec- they rec- they're able to recognize Moses and Elijah. I don't know how that worked. But Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they're all talking. Maybe they figured it out from a conversation. I don't know. But they realize that their heroes are all standing in front of them. Uh, for, for Americans, that'd be like standing there, and there's Jesus and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. They'd be like, oh, are you kidding me? These guys are right here in front of me? They're their national heroes. Moses. Elijah, Jesus. So Peter, who has, a, who has a, a descriptive name, open mouth and search sandal Peter. You know this guy? Wasn't he always saying stupid things at the wrong time? Peter pipes up and says, oh, it is so cool that we're here. I'm paraphrasing. It is so cool that we are here. Look, there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus. I got a great idea. And by the way, whenever you get a great idea, you probably should stop and repent of that right there. I got a great idea. Let's stay here and never come down. Good idea, Peter. The world's going to hell, but you stay up there and enjoy it. And not, let's not just stay here. I got an even better idea. Let's build how many houses? Three houses. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for who? Jesus. Okay. And we'll just hang around and just enjoy this. Now, So what that the world's going to hell? Peter wants to stay, and he wants to build a house for dead men. And by the way, folks, that's exactly what religion does. Religion builds houses over dead men, and it visits them every week. That's why Jesus did not come to bring a religion. He came to usher in a kingdom. And a religion and a kingdom are vastly different. Peter with his religion, tries to build a house over that which died a long time ago. He said, and we'll go and we'll, we've, we'll visit these dead houses. Religion tries to keep what God has let go. And it builds a house over it. it builds a house for dead people. It freezes history and it just hangs around. Now, you tell me, is that not an accurate description of what the church has been doing for way too long? We've been building houses over dead people and we visit it every week. We're freezing history, but we're not living 
acting and moving in the kingdom. It's exactly what's happening. It's the life that we've lived. And I'm here to tell you, when we understand the kingdom, that begins to change. So, Peter, James, and John are standing here having no clue what they're watching. They are totally clueless that they are watching the last messages of the Old Testament. And that they are witness to the end of the Old Testament. That everything before Matthew, God has just closed the book on. Moses and Elijah had completed their assignments, and Jesus said, I'm here. You guys are done. Because everything you wrote about, everything you pointed to, was all about me, and here I am. Good job. Your assignment's over. We can close your books because I'm here now. The question I got to ask you today, and I ask myself today, is are we keeping things alive that God killed a long time ago? See, because we like religion. We don't like the kingdom. You know why we don't like the kingdom? Because it's active now. And we don't like the kingdom's constitution. That means there's rules. And we don't want to follow those rules because we're ruggedly independent as Americans. You can't tell me what to do. But we like religion because religion is a set of rules and we can check our boxes off. It's something that happened in the past that's been done. It's dead. We feel we're not afraid of the dead, but we're mighty afraid of the resurrected living. We fear the king naturally. And so we much rather embrace religion instead of deal with a living king and the constitution of his kingdom. So they looked up. They had this great idea. Peter floats his idea. And look in the Bible. Look at what happens. Let's see what the father thinks about Peter's idea in Matthew 17. So they're up there. We're going to build three houses. Verse 5. While he was still speaking. Who's surprised? Peter's still rambling on about his idea. And God the father interrupts Peter. Don't miss that. While he's still speaking. The father's. And you know what? The father doesn't even let Jesus speak. Peter has got such a capital dumb idea. That God the father himself has to clear his throat. And say Jesus I got this one. <laughs> All right? And, and, and what happens? So while he's speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Say, what's that got to do with anything? You ever heard of the Shekinah glory of God? God the Father comes down in the cloud. Why did he come down in the cloud? Because if he didn't, they would be dead in the presence of the Father himself. Because Peter, James, and John still had a sin problem that was not yet paid for because Jesus was still alive. See how this all connects? So the cloud comes down, the Father's in it, and it surrounds them while he's talking. And then suddenly a voice came out of the cloud. You see it? I'm not making that up. Voice comes out of the cloud, and here's what it says. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to stop right there. You know what that is? They would have recognized that. Every one of those Jewish boys totally knew what that meant. Because that was the bless, that was the Hebraic blessing that a father would give to his, his son every night before he put him to bed. And that was the blessing he would bless his son with every morning when he woke the child up to start the day. You are my much-loved son, and in you I am well pleased. That was, a, that was a Hebrew blessing of a daddy to a son. 
And all of a sudden, this booming voice comes out right on the heels of Peter's great idea. He said, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then this, what does it say? Hear him. What's God saying? Shut up, Peter. Just shut up. Put a sandal in it and hear what Jesus has to say. Are you with me? I'm not making this stuff up. It's right in the text. Verse 5. Look at verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. I bet. And I, I don't know. I picture it like that. They're on their faces, trembling in their boots. And Peter's in the middle. And I think James and John are whispering to him, What were you thinking? That was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> now we're up here and we're probably going to get killed over this. Right? So they're on their faces, scared to death. Look at verse 7. But, um, but Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, guys, you're clueless. And that's fine because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit soon and all this is going to make sense. But isn't that beautiful? In the midst of their dumb statement and in the presence of a holy God who had every right to consume them for the sin that was still on them, Jesus doesn't just come over and talk to them. What does the Bible say? He what? He touches them. They say, it's okay. That's my father. And don't miss this. And I'm standing between him and you. That's some good stuff, folks. Jesus was standing between the Father and these sinful, very ignorant men. And in a very few short days, he was going to bear their sin and the brunt of the Father's wrath. He says, don't be afraid. Now, don't miss this. And when they lifted up their eyes, who did they see? They saw, underline this in your Bible, no one but Jesus. A minute ago, there was Moses, there was Elijah. We're going to worship them all. Cloud comes down, voice rings out. Jesus touches them, they look up. No more Moses, no more Elijah, no more cloud, Jesus only. That is incredibly significant. In Hebrews 1, what does the writer say? He says, and now we see Jesus. That's what he says. Hebrews 2, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. Moses didn't start anything for you. Elijah didn't finish anything for you. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's all about one man, one king, and his name is Jesus. It's got nothing to do with Moses. It's got nothing to do with Elijah. They completed their assignments, and God says, look, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. You better hear him. This is the transfer. This is the closing of the law and the prophets, and this is now the ushering in of the kingdom, and behold your king. Behold your king king and you better hear him so if we're supposed to hear him we got to be like the disciples they looked up and the old testament was gone no more law no more prophets just a king is anybody else getting this this morning that's all that's left and he said hear him well maybe we should hear him what did jesus have to say and i'm i'm i'm, I'm landing this plane what did jesus have to say he had a lot to say but he said it over and over again. Therefore, from that day, Jesus began to proclaim. He had one message. And what was it? Repent. 
Why? The kingdom of heaven is what? It's right here. Repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him to repent. Yeah, you need to repent. That was Jesus' message. Hear him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, repent. Why should I repent? Because I'm here. The kingdom is here. And the constitution comes with the king. Repent. Turn away from your ideas. Turn away from the wrong things that you believe about the law and the prophets. And know that the king of kings is here. And as a result, we got some repenting to do. What is repenting? It means to have your mind changed, to think differently, and therefore to behave differently. We need to start thinking differently because the kingdom has some ways about it that make no sense to the kingdom of darkness. I'll give you one example. They came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, we're coming in Jerusalem for this feast, and there's a temple tax thing, and <clears throat> I just talked to Judas, and somehow we don't have any money. We're in trouble. And Jesus said, eh, just go fishing. What? What? I just told you we have no money. There's no way I can catch enough fish and sell them soon enough to pay the temple tax. He said, no, 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 not, not with the net. Just throw a line out. Are you crazy? One bluegill, and we're going we're gonna to have our bill paid. Throw it out there. And in one fish's mouth, there's enough money to pay all their taxes. The kingdom's got some ways. But you know why you aren't experiencing those ways? Because all of those, listen to me, all of those ways come through the door of repentance. The reason you're not experiencing those ways is you haven't walked through the door of repentance yet. What did Jesus say? Put your hand out, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that what he said? No, he said repent. What's the constitution of the kingdom? Well, he's got a lot to say about how we deal with his money, with his gifts, with his provision. And the reason there's no fish with money in it in the mouth for you is because you've got a lot of repenting to do in a lot of different areas. And when you repent, those keys to the kingdom are open to you. And that's not the prosperity gospel. That's just the gospel. Jesus, did you ever see Jesus getting worried and say, oh, man, what are we going to do about that money? No, go throw one hook on one line in the water and go pay our taxes. Peter must have thought he had lost his mind. Here's a fish with all the money in his mouth. To pay their, the kingdom's got some ways, but the way to get into that is repentance. I need to close this up, but let me just let me throw one more thing at you. Jesus did not come to start a religion, but to usher in a kingdom. And I'll go back to David, who was the model for Christ's kingdom. And even as a boy, just a 13, 14-year-old boy, you remember he shows up, pizza delivery boy, at the battle scene, and there's no battle. But there is this big Philistine cussing out God's people and cussing God himself. And, and David said, hey, somebody should go do something about that. Why, why isn't anybody doing about, something about that? And he, he got talking so much that, that, that they ushered him into Saul, the king's tent. By the way, Saul was head and shoulders what? Would it just not make sense that their biggest guy goes against your biggest guy who happens to be your king? I don't know. Is that how you'd see it? That's how I'd see it. What was Saul doing? He's in his tent shaking. He talks to this kid with a bunch of, and this, he likes this kid. He's got a lot of moxie. And, you know, and, he, and Saul says, David, have you, have you seen how big he is? David says, yeah, he's too big to miss. How do you miss a guy like that? This, this is an easy task. And he's cussing God. God's bigger than him. God made him. We got this thing done. So, so Saul is so scared. He's such a coward. At the end of his rope, he said, 
all right, I'll let you go, but you got to wear my armor. Now remember, Saul is head and shoulders, what? Above everybody else. So he puts this armor on David who's not even full grown yet. You, you catching this idea? What do you think David looked like? It was foolish. And what did David say? He said, I, I, I can't wear these. They're not tested. I, I can't go out there like this. So he threw them off. Look at Saul tried to put his traditions on David. <laughs> he tried to put his traditions. You can't fight in the old traditions. When Jesus came, he never became a Pharisee. He never became a Sadducee. He didn't put on their religious garb, their armor. He didn't put on their traditions. He came and started something new. You can't fight in Saul's armor. And we can't fight in the old traditions. We can't fight this battle. We can't live in this kingdom. We can't live with a foot in the Old Testament and a foot in the New Testament. Either the kingdom is here or it's not. And the reason I wanted to share with you today this message is to say this. If I've done my job, you have seen that this kingdom was all throughout the Old Testament and the job of the Old Testament has been completed. And now when we go back and say, is the Old Testament worthless? No. It's where we go for reference. Oh, but listen to me. It's not where we go for direction. It's not where we go for marching orders. We don't go to dead guys. We go to the one who's still alive. And we march according to that kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is here. And if it is, how should that change the way I see my life? I'm going to talk to you about that in a few weeks. What's that mean? I'm going to go through. It's really cool. I think it's in, don't quote me. I want to say Matthew 13. Jesus tells a bunch of like one verse parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is light. And I'm going to walk you through some of that and show you what it looks like, what kind of authority we have, and the effect of the kingdom. But if you can begin, and this is what we're going to pray right now, as, as, my, as I think Joseph's coming. Um, here's, here's going to be the prayer. That God would build his kingdom right now and awaken you to the fact that if you have accepted Christ by faith, you're in the kingdom. And you take your marching orders from the king of that kingdom. And just in case we might be unclear on that, he wrote them out in this book. How might that change your life? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing with Joseph an acoustic version of that song, Build Your Kingdom, and then we're going to close today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you transitioned us into your kingdom. And I pray that in future weeks as we look at citizenship and how we become a citizen and what the kingdom's like and how we're to operate within that kingdom as your subjects, as your citizens, that, that you would just open our eyes to what you've called us to do as your citizens of your son's kingdom. And may we repent of powerlessness. May we repent of fear today. May we repent of discouragement May we repent of unbelief. May we repent of dreaming too small of a dream. And may we embrace what you have for us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.